Welcome everybody to the Yoga Now podcast. I'm Christopher Rigolinski, filling in for our regular host and fearless leader, Melanie Pomfort, who will be back next week right here. We have a great show for you today, so find a comfortable seat, take a deep inhale, and we'll get started. You know, I don't know if any of you uh, uh, saw Yoga Journal this week, but Yoga Journal published an article on its website about the Netflix series called Headspace, Guide to Meditation. And I had the opportunity to check out the first episode, and, uh, you know, it really got me thinking. Um, I'm wondering how many of you out there are aware of the show, how many of you read the article. You know, it raised a lot of questions for me about the tensions between how we're developing our yoga and meditation practices to welcome the largest possible audiences, while at the same time making sure that we don't let commercialization and mass media compromise the integrity of our teachings. You know, Headspace, uh, for anybody who's unfamiliar, is a meditation app founded by former monk Andy Pudicom. And the goal of the app was bringing meditation to anyone and everyone who was interested. At the time of the writing of the article in Yoga Journal, Headspace had over 65 million users in 190 countries. Now, the app, and by extension the Netflix series, proves that learning meditation through streaming platforms can be successful. In fact, Morgan Seltzer, who is the Headspace Studios head of content, um, told Yoga Journal that the app might even encourage longtime meditators to deepen or change up their practices. But, you know, I wonder a lot about this paradox that Headspace represents. As our yoga and meditation practices become more and more individualized through digital technologies, I've seen some practitioners become dependent upon the user platforms. How much yoking of our online yoga practices are bonding us to other people, and how much are bonding us with our screens? I think this is a really important question that we have to think about. And furthermore, what if the internet fails? Will we be able to practice alone with ourselves? I mean, part of the whole reason we meditate, or at least I started meditating, was because I was having difficult problems, difficult problems, that's uh, hard to say. I was having problems being alone with myself and just sitting. And through the practice of meditation, I was able to do that and focus more on just being and just being around and with myself. What do you think is going to happen? Are we going to deepen those divides or are we strengthening ourselves? Let us know what you think by dropping some thoughts in the comment section of the episode posting. And uh, don't forget also to check out our Yoga Now app and do some research for yourself. Engaging with the app is a great way to test some of these ideas about how you're creating your own practice, the compassion that you're cultivating for yourselves, others, and the global community. So we'd really love to hear from you. You know, this has been a tough year. Everything's changed. It's so hard to lose ourselves in the internet world of Amazon and these very large companies that are just giving us the same kind of product over and over again. And kind of feeling helpless as we watch our local businesses 
go out of business and all these vacancies in our storefronts. But there is hope. There's hope online in places like Etsy with companies like BDI. BDI, that's B-E-A-D-I-E, beaded jewelry, was built on nostalgia and family history. Designed by interior designer Paige Danoff, each piece uses bright beads and feathered fishing lures as a tribute to her family's past. BDI necklaces and mask chains are meant to be lighthearted and bright. So even if you go out of the house and you continually forget to bring your mask after all these months, all you have to do is grab a BDI neck mask chain and it'll be hanging there ready to go when you are. Just head on over to etsy.com shop slash BDI designs and check out all of the interesting work that Paige is putting up on a weekly basis. You'll be glad you did. Okay, everybody, now let's get to the show. On today's episode of Yoga Now, I'm super excited because we have an excerpt from my conversation with Hari Kirtana Das. Hari is a yoga teacher specializing in yoga wisdom texts and a spiritual activist. He's also the author of a great book that I'd recommend checking out if you haven't already done so called In Search of the Highest Truth, Adventures in Yoga Philosophy. Now, I first met Harry after he gave a Yoga Alliance talk in the summer of 2020 about uh, the Bhagavad Gita and how to appropriately engage yoga wisdom texts as a whole. At the time, I was in the middle of researching my thesis in museum studies at New York University, which focused on how museums and other cultural institutions could utilize the yamas and niyamas to transform their infrastructures in the fight for equity and social justice. Now, this is a huge topic, but it all starts in the way that we relate to community. And if we bring in principles like nonviolence and compassion, as this excerpt from my conversation with Hari um, illustrates, then we can begin to change the way museums relate, not only internally to staff members, but also to the communities around them. So take a listen, and I'll see you on the other side. Certainly the idea of, you know, any of these socially constructed isms of like racism, sexism, stuff like that, you know, obviously have no place in yoga when you have an understanding of the spiritual unity that we all share beneath the surface of these temporary material coverings we call bodies. Uh, but at the same time, there's a, a structure to things that actually supports everyone's opportunity to have that kind of realization and to participate from the standpoint of equal opportunity. So in terms of, um, you know, you mentioned anti-capitalism, um, you have also worked with like tech companies, for instance, right? Like you're, you're mm -hmm. sort of have your, your hand in that sort of capitalist system, but at the same time, you're working with this um, philosophy that challenges it what is that experience like for you? And sort of how do you moderate that tension? Well, um, 
you know, when I was right now, I'm a full time yoga teacher and I have been for quite some time, but I've worked for big corporations. I've uh, worked for small startups. Um, and I always felt, especially with the big corporations, I always felt like I was kind of undercover mm. uh, that I and I never really fit in particularly well in these cultures. Um, so I didn't last very long uh, in any one job. Um, and I ended up with the career that I've got because really it's the only thing I'm good at. Um, you know, I've taken what I've learned from my experiences working for uh, different companies. And, uh, you know, that's helped me to make uh, that's helped me in my ability to present yoga philosophy uh, in ways that are relevant for people who are still very much engaged in, um, you know, in that, in that kind of uh, world. And I, my hope is to go back into that world now that I have some more um, resources that I've developed uh, in order to you know, now it's a little more in vogue, thank goodness, uh, for companies to be thinking in terms of like, what are our values? What do we stand for beyond just making money? Um, how are we making a contribution to uh, society rather than just taking something from society? And how do you change uh you know how 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 do you actually uh turn the boat around uh if the if a change needs to be made so thinking about yoga as a um not a technical change but rather an adaptive change uh in order to reorient the culture of a company or the uh, consciousness of an individual. Uh, that's the kind of thing I've been thinking about and that's the kind of stuff that I'm developing. So right now I'm doing workshops primarily for the yoga community, but the, the thing I'm working towards is uh, doing presentations for and, and workshops for companies who want to explore the opportunities that aligning with the values uh, and ethical parameters of yoga present for a company that's interested in upping the ante, raising the level of the uh, corporate culture and the consciousness of uh, their employees and their uh, uh, not constituents, here I am in DC thinking about <laughs> no, uh, customers, you know, you know, whoever's invested in the, you know, in their brand, whoever identifies with their brand. Right. Is that um, a specifically post COVID development or is that already a trend you noticed before COVID? It's, I think it was already starting and it picked up a lot of steam over the last year. Right. Um, I think that, that that was, you know, already a trend in the works. Um, you know, the seeds were already planted uh, for that a few years ago. 
Um, you know, we can thank Colin Kaepernick for that. Uh, we can thank, you know, people like him who were like sticking their necks out. Um, you know, I think that there was a convergence of things that happened during the course of this last year that uh, hit, a, hit a tipping point, you know, between uh, COVID and you now almost four years of Trump and Black Lives Matters and the whole West Coast being on fire. Uh, I, I think that, that those, those things all created a tipping point where there's a greater sense of urgency um, to reorient ourselves away from uh, just profit motive and to, to do something bigger and better than that. Yeah, you know, it's funny, as a little Catholic boy, when I was reading about the plagues that were supposedly coming to end the world, I just sort of brushed it off. But over the past year or so, you, you look at the circumstances and, you know, I with my maturity, I begin to see that from a more meta metaphorical point of view. Yeah. And, you know, it's if we don't see this moment as a call to action in almost every, every way possible, we're just not paying attention. Correct. Um, you know, I, I'm in the, in the third part of the series I'm doing for Yoga Alliance, I'm going to be addressing uh, one of the questions or one of the challenges people have in reading yoga wisdom text, which is the forbidding tone. And that comes in two things. Uh, one is the perception, because we're, we're approaching yoga wisdom texts from a Western traditional religious orientation when we look at yoga as a spiritual practice, um, and because some of the Western translations have that same kind of biblical language, uh, you know, we look at the yamas and niyamas and think these are sh thou shalt nots, they're commandments. And uh, so that's, you know, kind of a forbidding tone, you know, thou shalt not kill other living beings. Frankly, I think that's good advice. Um, but it's, it's still, we, we, we are oriented towards commandments rather than um, ethical guidelines. And particularly in the Bhagavad Gita, there are no commandments. Krishna is always giving his opinion. You know, I'm God, this is my opinion. You may want to take the fact that I'm God into account when you consider my opinion, but it's really just my opinion and I'm not going to interfere with your free will. You can do what you want. Um, then there is also the what I call constructively negative view of the world that we hear about in yoga wisdom texts, you know, from the highest planet of Brahma down to the lowest planet, all are places of misery wherein repeated birth and death take place, but one who comes to me never has to come back to this place of sorrows. And, you know, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that the world just by its very nature is a crappy place to be. Um, but it is, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not just 2020, you know, it's 1938 to 45, it's 1914 to 19, it's, uh, depending on where you live, it's like all the time, you know, uh, and, um, you know, we, we think we're evolving towards something that's better. No, actually, we're not. 
it actually just keeps getting worse. People keep getting worse. The planet keeps getting worse. It's getting worse. In the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna comes to Krishna and says, I don't want to fight this war because I see nothing but disaster. You know, if I fight, then the whole world's going to fall apart for all intents and purposes, even if I win. So why should I bother? And Krishna's response is because it's your duty and I want you to. So yes, every bad thing that you say will happen, will happen. Now, fight anyway. So yoga is a deontological moral philosophy. We do the right thing because it's the right thing to do without attachment to the results. And we develop detachment by accepting rather than denying that the material world is not designed to be a place of enjoyment. Whatever enjoyment there is here is very temporary. And uh, ultimately, the pursuit of happiness turns into the very source of our problems. You know, all of our modern technology that we have developed for the sake of making the world a more enjoyable place, uh, if you actually step back and look objectively at what has been produced, uh, it's a disaster. It, it, it's not actually, it's very superficial happiness in exchange for very substantive suffering. And it always cracks me up when I hear or read articles in like Wired and other like tech evangelical magazines about how we must uh, uh, trust technology to solve the problems that have been created by technology. Right. No, that's not going to work. A whole new way of thinking about our relationship with the world is what's required. And that gets us back to the uh, cultural uh, spiritualization of society that yoga offers and why I felt motivated to engage in not only practicing yoga, but teaching yoga uh, from the standpoint of its potential social impact and not just its individual potential for me to be liberated from the cycle of birth and death in the material world. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's so beautiful the way you put that because it has so many personal and social implications and especially a few minutes ago you know you're talking about how to apply that point of view to the corporate structure and um as you know from my, my email one thing i'm very interested in is how that same kind of mindset can apply to the museum space mm -hmm. and um you know for me that's i've always viewed museums as um, a very political space of um narrative but in the last six months it's you know it's also for me, the next round has to be about community, right? It has to be about community building and mm -hmm. to a degree that cultural spiritualization you're talking about, because I believe that what we do in museums directly impacts what we do on the streets, right? In real life. Mm -hmm. And so one thing I'm thinking a lot about is like, for instance, if um, yoga practice and study was in um, a curatorial curriculum, for instance, how that might open ideas to more equitable narrative creation, to different approaches for collecting objects and telling stories with the community as opposed to for the community. Um, but I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on how you think maybe the um, larger sort of structure of teachings that you're talking about could apply to all of our cultural and arts um, sectors. Well, when we think of yoga as a moral philosophy, we begin with non-harming. Uh, and that is the anchor of all of the other ethical guidelines. Uh, 
the second uh, of which is abstinence from untruth or being truthful. Um, so if big museums, big institutions with large collections taken from other places, uh, like the Museum of Natural History or such like that, if they were being truthful, then what they would say is we stand for stealing. This is what we're about. We're about stealing stuff from places that uh, we're able to uh, militarily dominate because the people who live there can't stop us from taking it. Well, that would be honest. And probably that's more honesty than we can expect from the directors or the board of the museum, uh, even though they know it's true. Right. So, uh, so, so going forward, um, you know, I'm not really sure what a museum would do next. Um, so in terms of how you collect stuff, uh, if you have something that has some perceived value, you find, so first of all, you have like the permission of the place where you're digging around or collecting stuff uh, to engage with the people who have the stuff you're looking to collect. And then if it has value and a museum is better able to preserve that value and disseminate that value uh, than say the, you know, the host location, then uh, there has to be some kind of uh, participation or you know, equitable exchange involved. It's not just a matter of we're taking this. Um, now, I don't know the particulars of the museum business, uh, and, it, and frankly, it's, it's not something I've given a great deal of thought to. But um, someone who's in the museum business should be looking at these five principles of uh, ethics in as guidelines for you know, how they engage with communities that have um, artifacts worth saving uh, and educating people about, and uh, communities that uh, they're sharing this information with. All right, all right, so welcome back. What did you guys think? You know, for me, uh, one of the most interesting things about Hari is he, he blends together these lineages of activism, spirituality, intellectualism, and just everyday relatability. You know, very few times in life have I come across someone who is so multifaceted and able to take such sophisticated concepts and really break them down into an everyday, relatable manner. Again, his book is called, let me pull it back up here. It's, um, it's a great book. It's called In Search of the Highest Truth, Adventures in Yoga Philosophy. And you can check that out wherever books are sold. You can also find his work at harikirtan.com. That's H-A-R-I 
K-I-R-T-A-N-A dot com. All right, folks. Well, remember, next week, Melanie's going to be back with some brand new conversations, some insightful thoughts. And that's going to do it for this week on the Yoga Now podcast. Thanks for joining me so much. I am always, I am always, I always am Chris. I will always be Chris. And I hope that we'll get together again. You can find me on the Yoga Now app. So please go over and check that out. I'd love to hear from you, your thoughts about today's episode, but also would love to just engage with you directly. So please head on over. And with that, go ahead and join me by inhaling your palms to your chest. And with your breath held slightly, thank you for sharing your time with me. It's sincerely appreciated. Let's exhale and bow our heads to close this time together. Namaste.